We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are you ready for rapid fire? Oh, I'm ready for rapid fire. All right, let's do it then. And again, I've got, I've got some uh, some listener questions from earlier start up because uh, we've got a few different things. Let me see. Get rid of that one. We've already talked about that one. Let's start with this though. Scale of one to ten, will Notre Dame be ranked if they beat Clemson, and will they be ranked again this season if they don't beat Clemson? Uh, if they beat Clemson, I will give them a 10 out of 10 chance of being ranked. I think there's absolutely no way that they aren't ranked if they beat Clemson. Um, if, if they don't beat Clemson and drop to four losses, I don't see them being ranked for the rest of the season. So I would give them like a three on the flip side. And the only reason I give them three is if the potential, if you beat USC, there's a very small chance that you could come in at like 24, 23 in the very, very last rankings. But if they beat Clemson, I 100% believe they will be ranked after this week. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's it's a 10 for me as well because I think they're knocking at the door right now. Like at least if you look at the AP and coaches poll, they were. We don't we don't have that from uh, the college football playoff ranking. They were not in the top 25. But I've got to think that they are close. And based on some of the things that we've talked about as well, Notre Dame beating Clemson, one, you've beaten a top five team in addition to the other three ranked teams that you've already beaten this season. And, you know, so it, it it at least helps extinguish some of the losing to Stanford and Marshall. It's a 10 out of 10 for me. I, I think they're going to be ranked if they, if they win this week. But if they don't win, and again, depending on what that loss would look like if they lose, if they don't win, yeah, I put it at probably a two. I, I think best case, not only beating USC, but then like final polls at the end of the season if they end up beating USC and win a bowl game, maybe they show up in the top 25. That's it. So I would put it at a two if they lose to Clemson this week. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Fill in the blank on this one. It's blank that the Notre Dame offense calls the Mitchell Evans run package Mitchapalooza. <laughs> I think it's funny. And, and very creative you know it's it's uh it, it's it, it it brings like at the end of the day everyone knows you know what what's on the line right you're playing Notre Dame you're playing against high-end opponents you've lost a couple games that you're not supposed to lose I think bringing fun and, and something like this is is always welcome you know there's always areas where you can have fun no matter if you're underperforming overperforming uh, there's just it, it's just fun it's good fun it obviously probably gives him some confidence knowing that a whole package is named after him and they've had a lot of success with it this year. So if it's not, you know, I, I don't mind it. And then, and if it, if it keeps working, then, you know, call it whatever you want, but do you, I'm all on board. Do you know what it's in reference to Mitchapalooza? Uh, I don't, honestly, I don't know what it's in reference to. Very disappointed living in this house for as long as you lived. <laughs> this is an old school reference because Bring your green hat, Snoop. We're going streaking in the quad. Know what I'm saying? Will Ferrell, <laughs> Mitchapalooza, Speaker City, Vince Vaughn. We get a little sand in the living room. It's you have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? No, I know the movie. I just okay. don't remember the scene itself. Yes, they called it Mitchapalooza because Mitch, played by Luke Wilson, you know, his girlfriend had had the thing at the beginning of the movie, and so he moved out into this house. They were re-releasing him into the wild. They called the party Mitchapalooza, where Snoop Dogg was performing in the backyard, uh, the back porch presented by Speaker City. So and I think it's awesome, the fact that uh, the Mitchell Evans package is called Mitchapalooza. Uh, an old, anytime you can work an old school reference in, that is a good day with me. So I think it's cool. <laughs> Do you think they were going for that, though? Do you think many of them know what old school is? I think. The players don't, but I know Tommy Reese does. You know, Tommy Reese, he knows what old school is. He's he, he's up on he's up on that. That's <laughs> yes, it's a it's a direct reference. Okay. <laughs> Where do you rank Clemson among Notre Dame's rivals, Jess? This is something we touched on a little bit again earlier this week. You know, when I think of Notre Dame rivals, I think of like early let me like 2008 to 2000 and kind of like 16 era where it was Stanford USC Michigan Michigan State Purdue like to me a serious rivalry involves a trophy because there's something to play for every year the the, the trophy travels with the team I, I would put them as like a middle tier rivalry at this point just because of the recent, obviously, they play. You know, they're playing the ACC heavy schedule. Clemson is the best of the ACC teams. Notre Dame is often on the upper side of you know the ACC teams as well. So 
naturally the two best ACC teams are going to become rivals. But I don't think it's like this big rivalry yet. I don't put it up there yeah. with USC. I don't put it up. I think Stanford is still more prominent than than Clemson is. I don't. I don't care if Stanford's been bad. It's still someone you've played for a long time. You still beat up. There's still a you know a trophy involved. I think Michigan is a much bigger rival, even though they're they you know they've been off the schedule the last few years. So for me, it's just kind of like meh. It's a half kind of they're, they're in there, but it's it's not their top tier rival exactly it like it's it's becoming maybe a little bit of a national rivalry obviously usc it's never going to overtake that it's never going to overtake michigan but i would say because of this acc agreement you know they still haven't like they haven't played as often as north carolina for example here's where it it really because i asked the clemson writer when i when i talked to him and well of course we'll have that in saturday's show he said, you know, there, there are enough other teams in this region, and that's the thing for Clemson. They're a Southern school. There are, you know, enough other schools in, in that region that they are more rivals with than Notre Dame. Now, they're playing more frequently. They've played in games that mattered. You know, they played in a college football playoff game, but Clemson won lopsided. They played in the ACC championship game. Clemson won lopsided. The only game Notre Dame has won so far was two years ago at Notre Dame Stadium. If Notre Dame starts winning more of these games against Clemson, then there's some actual rivalry kind of to it because both sides, especially in something this young, when they've only played five previous times, both sides have to uh, have to be able to hold their own. They have to be able to win these games for it to become some kind of actual rivalry. And yeah, I mean, like Michigan State, as Stymie says, is a better rivalry, but they don't play up, you know, they don't play each other anymore and that was just it, it was downright bitter at times but i want to go back to the what we were just talking about the mitchapalooza tommy guns jesse wants to know if you're the defensive coordinator third and one you know he's out there how do you defend mitchapalooza for me it's hard because this is like the overall design of the play right you get a big you're essentially it, it, a qb sneak isn't isn't relative to qb it's it's the sneak part. It's getting under center and just plowing straight ahead. And I, you know, they went to this to the Mitchapalooza because he's just a bigger guy. He's harder to take down. He's going to be obviously he's got longer reach. He can move. Um, and so for me, the best way to do that is as soon as I see that tight end coming into motion, especially because Notre Dame has it on film now, right? It's got to be in all the defensive coordinators minds on short short down situations. Is honestly, I have my two interior linemen cut like hog roll as you as what they used to call it at the at the center guard and immediately I have my linebackers as soon as you see that guy go into motion I have my two linebackers come over top you know essentially a gap a gap you have your your two defensive linemen take out the legs and then you fire your two linebackers kind of over top so basically you're getting a high low because your defensive linemen are taking out the legs and then your linebackers are coming over top to clean up so I yeah. would pinch both of my linebackers down into the A-gap and just shoot them in there as soon as I see that tight end come under motion and get under center. And I would think now that it's been on film in two different games, someone is going to see that here pretty soon, and, and it's going to be defended differently. Maybe the key then is, how does name Notre Dame adjust to that? Is there a part two to Mitchapalooza when uh... – yeah, at what point do we fake and he just throws a quick pop pass to like yeah, a, a tight end? Because remember, he was a high school quarterback. You know, he did play some quarterback 
in high school. It's got to be now that it's out there, you got to have some sort of fake ready. And that's again, another thing I'd love to see Tommy Reese do, especially in the goal line, draw up something that no one has seen before. You know, that's short yardage plays. You can fake a, a QB sneak and just pop it right over to mayor. I'm sure that the first time you run it, they're going to sell out to run and someone's going to be open. And it's just, if he's played quarterback, that's even better because he can, he could most definitely throw a three to four yard pass. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Fill in the blank. If Notre Dame becomes bowl eligible, there are two ACC SEC bowl tie-ins this year. One is in the ReliaQuest bowl and the other is the Gator bowl. And that could mean the Irish face LSU and the prospect of a Notre Dame-Brian Kelly Bowl reunion is blank. Is juicy. I think that that would be so fun. Like, it, honestly, though, what what more at, at this point in the season, and Brian Kelly's had obviously has is having success. They're, they're number 10 in the rankings right now in the college football rankings. You know, obviously they have a, a pretty tough back end of the schedule here. If Notre Dame can handle, you know, their their uh, back end of the schedule as well, you know, take care of their back end and hope LSU kind of falls here and there. I think it'd be a great matchup. I think it would be kind of like the final blow that I think many people are waiting for. Like if Notre Dame can beat Brian Kelly after he left in what was kind of a down year, I think that would be very gratifying for a lot of people. It'd be a lot of juicy drama uh, at the end of the day. That would be like in terms of mid-tier bowl games. That would that would be like the storyline of storylines for ESPN. You know, doing the, if they were doing the ReliaQuest Bowl or the Gator Bowl to have Notre Dame and LSU, and it would be what their third bowl matchup in the last what seven or eight seasons, right? Something <laughs> like that. But always good games, have, though. That's the thing is the. The they, they were good games. Yeah, they were. They were good games, you know. But to have Brian Kelly on one side against the team that he just left last year, and Marcus Freeman on the other, like it's it's almost too much. It's almost too good to be true. It's almost too good to ask for. Yeah, you know, like John says, teacher versus the student, and and the whole thing. It's part of me says, do we really want that circus? You know, is that what we really want? But then at the same time, it's it's just. It's just so juicy, and I mean LSU is gonna gonna take another loss this week. I, I don't see any any way they're gonna beat Alabama, and even if Notre Dame ends up in that that you know that that four loss range, I think that there's a really good chance it could happen. So this is gonna be this is gonna be one to watch as things kind of take shape down this last month of the season. We could be headed in that direction because obviously Notre Dame gets an ACC bowl spot and. We could very well see Notre Dame and LSU. And, and yeah, like ratings would be through the roof. And in terms of, again, like that mid-tier type bowl game, and, you know, that's the that would be the one that that I think that, that you would sign up to see. That would be your must-see TV if you've got Notre Dame, LSU, Brian Kelly on TV. All right. We've got some World Series stuff. And before we get to the question that I was going to ask, Salty has just been all over me about my World Series prediction, <laughs> and he wants to know if you I'm have questions for me about the World Series prediction. It's like, you know, I, I fell on it last night. You know, you've got to make a prediction. I just, like, the Astros we saw last night, or the 
or the Astros that I thought that we were going to see this entire World Series. I just felt like in baseball, it's it's so hard for that, you know, like underdog little guy to continue to beat teams that are better than them. And the Astros were just so much better than everyone, first in the regular season, then in the playoffs. And and don't get me wrong, I want the Phillies to win. I'm I'm not like against the Phillies by any means. I want the Phillies to win this World Series, but I just thought that the Astros, as good as they have been all regular season, and to start off the playoffs, that they were going to maybe give up one game against the Phillies. The fact that it's two to two is something else. And speaking of which, what's the cooler World Series happening this week? The Astros combining uh, for a game four no hitter, or Reese Hoskins' wife buying Phillies fans 50 beers at the concession stand twice? Oh, it's got to be the free beer for for the for the Phillies fans. That's that's commitment. I don't care about a combined no hitter. Combined no hitters happen all the time. It, it, is it is it is it hard to throw a combined no hitter? Sure, but it is much harder for one guy to throw a no hitter in in the entirety of a World Series game. So I'm taking the beers all day. I think that that is uh, definitely the more cooler moment. And if I'm a Phillies fan, I'm 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 finding you know where where Hoskins' wife is going to be because I'm I'm trying to stake out for some free beer. I know, I know. She went after the fifth inning, two games in a row. She went to the concession stand. I think he needs to throw down some money and buy like 500 cans of beer tonight. The best part about it is, you know, it's not because you know, we don't have a, a a beer sponsor like we used to. It's not this watered down Budweiser or whatever. She's out there with Yinglings. She's buying the real Pennsylvania beer, my friends, at the concession stand, and they are tall boy yinglings. I saw a picture of her on Twitter last night. It is awesome, and uh, it sounds like Reese Hoskins' wife is a cool hang, so it is by far, in my <laughs> book, that is by far the uh, the cooler happening from the World Series. It's been a great series so far. I wish I could have stayed awake last night because I missed the end. I was I was trying hard, but I crashed on the... The couch, I think, around the eighth inning, as it turned out. All right. As the World Series continues, fill in the blank with this one. Best active manager in baseball is blank. Um, This was hard. This was really hard, actually. It came down to two people for me. Do you do you have a guess? Before I say mine, do you think do who do you think my two are? Um I would say Terry Francona is one. I don't know who the second one would be. Though. This, like, I'll just say mine is Terry Francona. I'll get it out of the way. Because <laughs> one, to be the manager of the Red Sox, to break the curse of the Mambino, to be the guy in his first season, and then win another one three years later, like that alone right there should – put you pretty close to the hall of fame and then to get the cleveland indians back to the world series and year in and year out all the expectations all the preseason predictions for the most part since francona has he he resurrected cleveland in his time there and i may have just said indians i don't know but guardians obviously but like it was supposed this was supposed to be the year of the white Sox, and look what happened the guardians win the division they get back to the playoffs so to me francona is number one. I'm honestly, you know, I, I like Cora in Boston because, again, like here's a guy who the Red Sox stunk 
the year before he took over, he he takes over. They end up winning a World Series. Now, you know, that's been a few years ago. What's that been? Four years ago at this point now, you know, and they've been kind of up and down. He was out of baseball for a little bit because of the Astros scandal and that whole thing. I think he's pretty good. I'm not sure who number two would be for you. Well, I mean, I don't even know who number one is. Is is, is Francona number one for one? Uh, so I haven't I haven't picked number one yet. But Francona was one of the was one of two people I was considering between, okay. um, and, and largely because of what you talked about. He won two World Series with the Red Sox, broke the curse with the Red Sox, um, and then more impressively this season, taking the Guardians to the playoff playoffs. Um, they had one. They they had oh. the youngest roster in MLB. They had one of the lowest payrolls. They had very low expectations, a lot of inexperience. And he got those guys to play in a way that made them win. They played good defense. They played, you know, they hustled. They played to, they controlled what they could, could control to the best of the ability. So it was between Terry Francona and drumroll Bruce Bochy. I think that oh. what he did with San Francisco, Boach. the three World Series with the Giants in a span of a 10-year decade. I, I guess technically he's, he's active again because he came out of retirement. And now he's with the Rangers, he's but he hasn't Rangers. managed for the last couple of years. Yeah. So that that's where I put it. I, I I guess I'm cheating a little bit because he is coming out of retirement and he is recently just active. Uh, but for me, it's it's Bochi and and Francona right now. Buck is a good one, Brian NY. I hope you're a Mets fan and not a Yankees fan, but Buck is a good one. I've always liked Buck Showalter. Like when he took over in Baltimore, he said. You know, that was that was an Orioles team sitting at the bottom of the division. He said, you know, we're going to stand up to the Yankees. We're going to stand up to the Red Sox. And they didn't win a whole lot of games total his first couple years, but they always competed hard with those two teams. And, you know, he managed to get them to the playoffs and, you know, maybe overachieved a little bit. He's done well everywhere he is. I was really disappointed to see the Mets get bounced so soon in the postseason this year. I'd, I'd like to see him be able to win a World Series before it's all said and done what about what about dusty baker like i know you're down on the uh, astros do you I'm like not, dusty at all I'm would sure. you like to see dusty like do you have any sentimentality you know what like would you mind seeing dusty win a world series finally i considered dusty baker for a long time and i more than would love to see dusty baker win a world series and i feel bad for the guy because he's just continuously come up short i and, know. And it, I, I think that he definitely deserves to get one but unfortunately not at the Astros expense I'm rooting for the Phillies um and so yeah I would like to see Dusty get one but just obviously not this year and obviously another great coach that and that's what shows I kind of prove or probably proves how hard it is to win a World Series you know Dusty know. Baker left the Giants after being in the World Series took over the Cubs had some good seasons with the Cubs and ultimately just didn't get it done, you know, quickly enough. And they kind of spiraled back to being bad. And then he went to the Nationals. They had a World Series appearance. He's had a World Series with, a, a appearance with the Astros that they didn't win a few years ago. And now he's back again. So I just – I think Dusty Baker is the perfect – like if you showed a picture of why it's so hard to be a professional coach, Dusty Baker, like, face would pop up because it, it, he's the definition in my opinion. Yeah. Tyler Evans with a super chat. Do you wish the Cowboys traded for a wideout or pass rusher at the trade deadline? Oh, 100% a wideout. I think their pass rush is completely fine. They actually added an interior defensive lineman uh, that should help them a little bit. But as long as pass rush goes, they're fine. They're leading the league in QB hits, pressure, sacks. I'm okay with what they're doing on the pass rushing front. 
I would definitely have liked to see them get a wide out. I think CD Lamb, uh, I, I think it just opens up their offense that much more. They're they're obviously are good at running the ball this year. And I think that the, the passing game is kind of taken a back seat compared to where it was last year when you had Cooper, Gallup, um, Schultz, CD Lamb. I would have liked to see them add Braden, Braden Cooks, Braden Cooks. I know there was a lot of talks of it. I think he's the perfect kind of slot wide receiver guy with James Washington being hurt. But James Washington is going to be coming back um, here soon. I don't know the exact timetable, but, you know, they've been kind of relying on Tolbert, who's been a, a rookie guy that hasn't really come along yet. Um, I don't think CeeDee Lamb is 100% well, like the guy at the number Noah one Noah Brown spot. was good when when – Cooper Rush was in there. He kind of disappeared, and and now he's injured. You know, the, the last couple of weeks, he's 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 shown some flashes. I think that they could use a a, a legit number two type guy. I, I I've liked Gallup as as a number three guy in the past. He really hasn't stepped up since he's been back. I don't know how much it's because of his own injury, but the Cooks thing apparently apparently they wanted a second and a fourth round pick for him, and that's just a little a bit about- too rich. Uh, and and Cooks had like 18 million guaranteed next year, yeah, and the and Houston true. didn't want to eat any of that. So yeah. you know the Cowboys are just going to take on 18 million next year and give you a bunch of trade compensation. So what do you think about OBJ? Because he's still lurking. Too out much there. drama. I, That's kind of what I think too. I think his personality fit better in Vegas, but with what the Cowboys got going on, and you know there's so much. Uh, Jerry Jones loves his drafted talent, his homegrown talent. I don't think that they're just going to bring in that big kind of personality OBJ, especially with the success that they're having so far this season. You don't want to throw off team chemistry and that kind of stuff. I think they'd have to go after more of an Amari Cooper type, a guy who lays low, kind of puts his head down and just plays football. I just think OBJ is too much for for the Dallas Cowboys. I agree. Stymie going back to the Dusty Baker. He said a hundred million (laughs) for Alfonso Soriano wasn't Dusty's fault. That's a very fair point. I mean, that, that, that's really what wrecked that whole, kind of era was overpaying Alfonso Soriano and then he didn't produce, but you know, Joe Madden overcame Jason Hayward. So <laughs> Stymie brought up a good point. Did you see Jerry Jones's uh, Halloween costume this year? I missed it. What was it? He, uh, he was a blind referee uh, for Halloween, <laughs> for Halloween. It was, it was actually pretty comical. One of my buddies sent it to me uh, last night. <laughs> I didn't. I, I'm gonna have to to go find that after we finish up here. Fill in the blank. It's blank that the NBA recently told the regional sports TV networks that they all need to get their broadcasters to arenas to broadcast road games rather than having them broadcast remotely as they've been doing the last couple seasons. It's kind of confusing because if it's working. And you don't have to have these, you know, the, these these broadcasters travel as much. Then what's the real downside? Like if if something's if the product uh, is just is... <laughs> let me stop you there. Let me stop you there. See, I thought since you watch a little more NBA, like maybe you've picked up so you know some things with these guys not being on the road. But as someone who broadcasts games, and as someone who had to broadcast basketball games from my living room on a TV a couple of years ago, I can tell you there is a big difference being courtside at the basketball game as opposed to sitting in front of even a nice high-definition, you know, big-screen TV. There is a huge difference in, in being there. And not only that, the ability 
to travel and be on the road with the team because these these guys travel with the team on the charters when they go on the road. You just there is just so much more that you learn about the team, the relationships that you develop both with the coaches, the players. You find out things that you don't that you can't find out basically just sitting in your living room broadcasting basketball games that way. And I think the quality of the broadcasts is immensely better. So for me, I hand it to the NBA for putting their foot down and saying, look, it's been almost three years now. You got to get these guys back on the road. There's a quality, you know, there's a standard that we're holding you to and you got to do it. That's my, that's my take as a broadcaster. Hearing that perspective, I am a hundred percent on board then. Cause I, I do agree. I think that, you know, obviously with the camera and the TV, you can't see the full court all at one time. You're only right. able to see what the camera is showing you. And a lot of the job is being able to see the entire court at once. Um, so, yeah, I think that overall that it, it is a great thing then because we're going to see a better product and we're going to see better analysis from these from these broadcasters. Yes, exactly. And and it's your job, right? Like it's your duty. That's right. It's 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 part of the job. So if, if that's if you're really complaining about it, then I don't think that it should be your job at that point. <laughs> and you know like espn has still been doing this with different games it's essentially now this started even before the pandemic like espn st- and some other networks too started doing the studio games where it's like exactly what i'm talking about you you get the announcers you sit in front of a tv and they were calling them remotely so that they could save the expense you know the airfare and and the hotels and and the whole thing of sending announcers on the road and there's like to me like sometimes it's harder to tell but like especially like if there there have been some times where it it, it becomes pretty obvious that they're not at the games just just like when they're late on some stuff or you know there was like a home run call i remember like i think it was matt veskurgeon thought that that a ball was you know like a a warning track out and uh no it was a home run (laughs) so (laughs) There's a big difference in being there and not being there. All right, last question for tonight. The uh, Twitter blue check blue check mark controversy has been raging this week after Elon Musk, who's now the new owner of Twitter, says he wants to charge 20 bucks a month for people to keep their blue check marks. So how much, Jesse, would you pay to have a blue check mark? How much would you pay per month? I think I would have to put it at like $5 per month because honestly, I don't really care about it. I don't have many followers. I don't think many people care about what I'm saying at the end of the day. So, you know, to me, it doesn't really matter. But this whole uh, Elon thing is just so crazy because, you know, there's just other things that are coming out. Like tomorrow, tomorrow is going to be like the big change over at Twitter. Like he's firing half of his staff. He's requiring everyone come in. No more remote work. It's all 100% in office. I just think that there's going to be kind of like sweeping changes coming forward. And it's just kind of crazy that like one, he now owns Twitter and two, he can just do whatever he wants. He can charge you $20 for a check mark. If you want, he can fire half the staff. He can demand all these things. So to me, it's just a part of like this bigger kind of like sweeping changes uh, that, that are coming. So, you know, I, I, I think I like, again, I don't really care about it. I don't have enough of a following. So like, give me like five, Five bucks a month, I think, is where I would top out at. Yeah, I think that that is the most as well. Stymie says he likes the concept. If it eliminates bots, it's worth it. I, I mean, does it eliminate bots, though? Because, like, to me, you're like, 
having the 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 one benefit predominantly the blue check mark is a status symbol right but there are people who are high enough profile and have enough of a following that you need it and like from a sports journalism standpoint you know like i went through and i looked through like a lot of the notre dame media because i couldn't even remember who had one and who didn't for the most part it skews younger like the young you know like the younger guys made sure they got their blue check marks right away but there are a lot of older guys like me who couldn't care less about the blue check mark now there are a couple older guys who do like brian has one uh driscoll and ryan roberts our recruiting guy has one and i you know i think that like from a reporting standpoint there should be incentive on twitter's part to want to 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 have easier access to the blue check marks because it eliminates the fake accounts you know like people posing as you know reporters or you know like with news you know breaking news and those kind of things like there's adam schefter with the blue check mark and there's adam schefter the fake account right and there's others like that as well whether it's jeff passan or you know whoever you know those big name people happen to be so like having the blue check mark in those cases is something it's it's good to have so that you you can tell the difference between fake and real Otherwise, again, it's like largely a status thing. So I would never pay for it. You know, I, I've I've never, you know, tried to go down the verification route, even though I could. And I just it's it it just doesn't mean enough to have that little status symbol. But I I do understand why people would want it again because I think that it helps filter out. You know, and like if people are paying attention, you still see people retweet the fake Adam Schefter account, though, right? It's like, <laughs> So that's the thing. I, I don't know that it, yeah, that, see, and that's, I, I agree with what John's saying. I don't know that it affects bots. It's to cut down on misinformation when the fake accounts post as a famous person and it gets reported on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like 99 cents a month. Like I can see, I can see why Elon Musk is looking for different revenue sources because you know, that's why he tried to bail on this whole Twitter thing to begin with, because he said, I'm going to do it. And then he's like, oh, I don't know that I researched this enough. You know, I, there's uh, there's some money to not be made. And now he's trying to figure out, OK, well, if I charge for the blue check mark, then I can still make some money off it. So I don't know if if the price was low enough and I was really that into it, you know, maybe a buck a month or something like that <laughs> or 15 bucks a year. I don't know. Something along those lines. That's that's the most I'd be willing to go to though there was one last question that you had started that i wanted to get to and, and okay. Tyler was asking kind of what i thought of the top 25 i'm sure yes. everyone has heard what brian and vince and everyone else potentially has to say you know i'm i as you know i'm not i don't get super into the rankings right now because they're so preliminary and then you know most of these teams like alabama and and everyone back, you know, loads up the back end of their schedule. They, they play all these kind of easier games at the beginning as like kind of, you know, practice rounds and you see the kind of their more serious games towards the end of the schedule. And that's really what we're getting into right now. I guess the only thing that I would say I didn't agree with, <coughs> excuse me, in the top 25 is I don't think Texas belongs. You know, Texas has is five and three. I don't think a three loss team really belongs. Um, it's not like they've been good in the past. They're still trying to get back. Uh, they still play in the Big 12. That's not, you know, one of the harder Power Five conferences. So their best win is is Oklahoma still, right? Like right. And so I be- don't necessarily believe 
that uh, that Texas belongs. I think the other thing that was kind of confusing is honestly how high LSU was as a two-loss team. Um, and I think Ole Miss should be kind of up there a little bit more. I think Ole Miss has put on an impressive resume at eight and one right now. Um, and they're behind LSU. And obviously the reason is, is that LSU beat them. Sure. Whatever. But LSU just doesn't have the, 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 the resume to be the number 10 team for me. So outside of those two things, those are really the only things, uh, I, I saw maybe you could make an argument about Michigan and Clemson. They're pretty much the same team to me though. Haven't played a whole bunch of people, uh, but that'll get changed. Obviously, Notre Dame is playing Clemson this week, so that's going to provide one of their more tougher matchups this season. Uh, Michigan has really played no one outside of like Maryland, but they've they've been dominant running the ball and defensively, as hard as that is to say. So yeah. really, that those are the only things I really saw in the top twenty-five that kind of were like, eh. But other than that, I, I liked it, you know. But again, it's so preliminary. There's so much more left in the season for these yeah, things. Yeah, that's that's the thing for me. It's still so early. It's the first college foot, you know. It's the first college football playoff ranking, obviously. And just look at this weekend with the games that you're going to see: Tennessee, Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, and some of these other. And obviously, Michigan and Ohio State still have to play down the line. So there are a lot of games still to be played. I said Tennessee, Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, LSU. That's what I meant. But you know there there are a lot of a lot of games to be played, so I'm not going to get too worried about it. Like you said, the bottom end of the rankings, you know, maybe Texas is in there to help validate Alabama with that one loss <laughs> ahead of a couple of no loss teams. A lot of ACC of teams towards like the back end there. You got like Syracuse, yep. Wake Forest, NC Clemson. State. That's right. That's all right. back to back to back. You got Clemson in there. So you know, I again, I, I'm I'm okay with it. I, I don't. It is what it is. It it all evens out by the time the end of the season comes. Yep, I agree. All right. Well, thanks for uh, for all your insight tonight, as always, and thanks to everybody for being here live tonight. Appreciate you as always. This, of course, is our final Ivy Nation Sports Talk of the Week. We've got uh, more shows coming up tomorrow. Big recruiting weekend. You'll hear all about that tomorrow. I'm sure. Uh, if you haven't heard about it already. This week, and of course, we've got IB Countdown to kick off 10 o'clock Saturday morning, and then the post-game show afterwards, and Jesse will be on with Brian and Vince for the post-game show as well. I'm not sure who else will be there, but I know those three guys will be there. So, looking forward to that. Jesse's first post-game show Saturday night after Notre Dame and Clemson. We will talk to you Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. Jess, have a good weekend, good post-game show. I'll talk to you later. Sounds good. I, I I hope everyone tunes in. I'm pretty excited for this first post-game show. It'll be live and fresh. Absolutely. I'll be listening. And uh, hit the like button on your way out if you would. Appreciate you. As always, we will talk to you later on IB Nation Sports Talk.
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.